Итак, если у кого из вас есть Библии, можете открыть вместе And со мной. So Bibles, Знакомое, Проповедь, которую я хочу продолжить, так и называется. Известно, что это обетованная заповедь. This is when they have their own personal opinions, when they at any time can say, well, I don't agree with this. When they come to the service, not as students, but as inspectors, they don't even notice that they're not students, they're simply inspectors that come to inspect the one that speaks. Leave the service where you can inspect the person, find a service where the person that is sent by God will be speaking the word and you will be a student and hear it. I trust this does not apply to you but to those who watch us on television. Relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man, specifically the goals that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue. And in part we have been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart received by us in the two broken tablets of the covenant, where we die by the law for the law to live for the one that died and resurrected. And by doing so receive confirmation of our salvation in new tablets of the covenant in the format of the law of the spirit of life so that we can provi provide God a basis to give us the promise to be heirs of peace not by the past law but by the righteousness of faith like he gave it to Abraham and his seed. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Romans 4.13 We note that the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, which is presented in the preached word of God sent and the person who is a father from God to us. Our faith and God's faith are completely different. God's faith is the word that we hear. Faith is from hearing. This is information. This is not what we feel, but what we hear, information. Our faith is obedience to that information. Obedience. Therefore, the promise of the peace of God is given only to those men who are obedient to God's order in accordance to which he then sends us his words 
by the mouth of this delegated one. The covenant of peace within the heart of man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God, which are the spoken words of God's delegated ones. It is by the means of the righteousness of faith that the covenant of peace presented in the inheritance of peace that is called to abide and be in the heart of man evidence of the fact that we are children of God. If this is not within our heart, then we are not able to be established in the fact that we're children of God. Therefore, the inheritance of peace abiding within the covenant of peace is the treasury of our hope in God, containing the bond of all of the promises of God. And the achievement of these promises is the goal of the given to us righteousness. It is righteousness by the means of the peace of God contained in the covenant of peace that can and is called to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, Philippians 4, 6, 7, with thanksgiving because you specifically know that everything that you want to ask of from God is already upon your account. God has already already responded. You just need to thank him and uh, with thanksgiving take it from your account. And this means that you've taken, you've thanked God and you wait. And when God gives is already his role, his prerogative, his goal, his job. Often people don't understand this and they think that I've proclaimed something, then it needs to immediately happen. This is not the case. When we in hope wait for what we've asked for and that God has responded and we wait for the response, in what way will God heal? How he'll heal? When he will heal is his role. But people not understanding this, they ask, why is this happening? Why is God not immediately responding to me? In order to grow our faith, if he responds immediately, our faith will never grow. Our faith grows in the moment when we by faith receive that it is placed upon our account. And with thanksgiving, we wait. And this waiting is the growth of our faith. And when God sees that our faith has grown, in the measure that he wants so that when he comes he will find faith on the earth he'll find faith in our heart otherwise if he will give to us immediately when we ask when he comes to the earth he will not find faith faith needs to grow the peace of God that is able to guard our minds in Christ Jesus is the mind that is renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. Because to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8, 6 through 8. According to the given place, we conclude that people that refuse the condition where the truth of the preached word and the power of the Holy Spirit renews their mind by the spirit of their mind have no part to the peace of God and are not able to have it. 
because they don't have the right approach and consequently such people have no part and cannot have any part to the sons of peace either who by the means of the peace of God will inherit eternal salvation in the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> the peace of God that is within our heart it cannot be shaken by any illness or any loss or any, uh, <clears throat> or any achievement or any kind of gain. We need to apprehend well that only collaborating our spirit with our renewed mind that is within Jesus Christ, we are called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our body and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ. Relevant to this, we stop to look at the fourth question, by what signs do we need to examine ourselves, that we are the sons of peace, and therefore are the sons of God. Because it is only by the rule of the peace of God within our heart that we are able to examine ourselves, that we, that we are truly the sons of God. As it is written, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5, 9. We have noted that if a person has not died for his nation, for the house of his father, and for his fleshly life, then his justification that he received in salvation by faith in Christ Jesus, in that format of a guarantee, this justification will never turn into the quality and format of righteousness, where he would receive the ability to be clothed into the inheritance of the peace of God, and bear then within his righteousness the fruits of peace, which is why the crown of righteousness of such people will be taken from them, giving them the right to the promise of peace in which they would be able to be called sons of God. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Revelations 11, or 3.11. We need to remember that the promise of the peace of God obtains its power and its legitimacy within our heart only by the righteousness of our faith in the covenant of peace, which portions, portions responsibility upon both sides of the covenant, where each side then is responsible to fulfill their role that is implemented by God. In the, in the written word or writings of the covenant of peace. And if one of the sides breaks the agreement that was made in the covenant of peace between God and man, and such a violator can only be a man, then the other participant or party of this covenant, being God, is then free from the responsibility of fulfilling his part of the agreement that was made in the covenant of peace. The fruit of righteousness is identified within our heart as the peace of God, and this is evidence that we are the sons of peace, and this serves as a legitimate basis for God to fulfill his part of the covenant of peace, which consists of leading us into the inheritance of his Son, so that we can share with him the achievement of all of what is written about him in the laws, prophets, and psalms. Because just justification that we have received by right of our birth from the seed of the word of truth has changed into the quality and format of righteousness where we receive the ability to bear fruits of peace within our relationship with God and with those around us. As it is written, pursue, pursue peace with all people, Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We note that in the given situation, this place is referring to a unique and unearthly peace that is to be done by God only within the boundaries of holiness or be an expression and demonstration of holiness, the boundaries of which are the commandments of God containing the righteousness of God. In another place of Scripture, Apostle Paul writes, Romans 12:18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, which indicates the 
fact that it is not possible to have peace with all men. Therefore, peace that we dare to have or have the audacity to have and demonstrate using the ideas of our own mind out of the boundaries of holiness and not as a demonstration of holiness will be incriminated as a heavy a heavy form of lawlessness that will then require us to pay a price of eternal life because our fellowship or communication with people that the scriptures ascribe to corrupt company will perverse or corrupt our good habits and will transform us into their wicked image. Do not be deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame, 1 Corinthians 15, 33-34. Therefore, it is impossible and criminal to have peace with the wicked and the lawless that support the wicked who in their time had received the truth, but afterwards abandoned their church and turned away from the given to them holy commandments. The very fact of their rebellion and their hatred of the word given by the delegated people of God that are placed over them testify of the fact that they have a loss of peace in their heart and this, ma this members them to the category of the wicked. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked, Isaiah 57, 20 through 21. In a specific format, we've already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves that we are the sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign. And this is our ability to clothe our essence into the holy and selective love of God. A holy love is a selective love. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3, 14.15 We've noted that according to this place of Scripture, the reign of the peace of God within our heart is possible only upon one condition, and that is if the selective love of God will abide within our heart and if we will be clothed into the selective love of God. Since in the selective love of God, which is the atmosphere of the peace of God, we see concealed the good, wonderful, eternal, and uncomprehending for the human mind goals and works of God called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and exclusively with his children. Therefore, comprehending the selective love of God is called to fill us with the fullness of the peace of God or make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. The selective love of God, as we know, is presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in seven unchanging virtues or elements by the preached word of the apostles and prophets. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, written in 2 Peter 1, 2-8. Each of these seven qualities of the fruits of virtue are one in the other. They contain the characteristics of one the other. They flow one from the other complete one the other, strengthen one the other, and confirm the truthful nature of one the other. Second, these qualities are called to be the moral perfection within our heart and an example inherent to the essence of God. The given qualities are the great and precious promises entrusted to us through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. 
and this is entrusted to us in the form of a seed of the preached word that we grow then into fruit. Fourth, the given qualities are the imperishable treasure and unsearchable wealth of Christ with which we need to become rich in the fruits of our spirit. Fifth, in order to receive the inheritance of these qualities, it is necessary for us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we will not be able to do anything. We need to differentiate speaking in tongues, the ability to speak in tongues, from the Holy Spirit himself. Sixth, the means that we are to utilize for receiving the power of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and our Master of our life is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. Seventh, by inheriting these great and precious promises in the form of the fruits of our spirit, we become a part of God's divine nature. Since virtue in the selective love of God demonstrated in the seven unchanging qualities and characteristics have, have nothing in common with and cannot have anything in common with the nature of human love that is filled with egoism, is greedy, and is just temporary. Specifically, the fruits of the selective love of God containing the format of the seven unchanging qualities listed previously, this fruit is called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ within our body and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ that is into our new person. The element of virtue in the selective love of God has no comparison to the tolerant love of man since the quality of the selective love of God are eternally existing qualities. These qualities are the qualities of our Heavenly Father and this is an all-consuming all consuming holiness and all that comes from God because God is love or more accurately, He is a holy love separated from all that man calls love and such an in inaccessible for our mind transcendent love of God is identified in Scripture as the bond of all perfection, which indicates the fact that the selective love of God is placed by God first over all of the rest of His perfections, identified as His goodness. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Colossians 3.14 The measure of the love of God is identified by and is known by the measure of God's hatred toward evil and men who do this evil. Only loving what God loves and hating what God hates, we are able to demonstrate God's perfection in His reaction toward good and evil. The love of God is the foundation and atmosphere of the moral and immovable law, opening within our heart the essence of God and the essence of the heavenly kingdom. And this is not all. The love of God agape is a sovereign love, which is unconditional when it comes to the people it chooses in its abilities to foreknow and predestine. Because of its sovereignty, the selective love of God is ne uh, never violates the sovereign rights of those people she selects and never allows her own sovereign rights within her boundaries to be violated. These boundaries identified as his burning holiness. In a specific format, these seven characteristics that together identify within our heart the goodness of God in the perfection of a selective love, we have already looked at six qualities, therefore we'll immediately turn our attention to the seventh, and this is demonstrating the love of God agape in brotherly kindness. In scripture, the love of God agape as the virtue of God coming from brotherly kindness is contrary to evil that comes from hatred of the fallen angels 
angels and men that are within the power of these fallen spirits. Therefore, in the Holy Scriptures, the degree of the power of the selective love of God, which comes from brotherly kindness and reveals itself in brotherly kindness, is determined and exclusively is known by and exclusively is known by the degree of the power of the hatred of God toward evil and evildoers who do this evil. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Hebrews 1.9, these words Apostle Paul uh, took from the 45th Psalm of David. Considering that evil demonstrating itself in a man, in hatred that comes from jealousy and arrogance of man, and the good that demonstrates itself in man in love that comes from brotherly kindness, are programs. Therefore, to love righteousness and hate lawlessness is only possible in its carriers, which are their programmable systems, as it is written. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire, and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. Psalm 11, 5 through 7. The wicked one is one that previously was holy. And so when he has violated the boundaries of holiness, he has become wicked. Relevant to this, as in the previous elements, the virtue of God and his unique for us goodness, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith in seven elements, we need to answer four classical questions. First, what do the scriptures say about the genesis and natural essence of the fruits of virtue that reveal itself in the heart of man in the love of God agape that comes from brotherly kindness? which we are called to demonstrate in our faith. What purpose does the fruit of virtue have demonstrated in our faith in the love of God agape that comes from brotherly kindness? What conditions do we need to fulfill in order to demonstrate the fruit of virtue in the love of God agape in our faith coming from brotherly kindness? And by what signs do we examine ourselves that we are demonstrating the fruits of virtue in the love of God agape that comes from brotherly kindness? Answering the first question, we came to the conclusion that the love of God agape has been poured out into our heart by the Holy Spirit who has who was given to us, Romans 5.5. 5. Relevant to this, we've noted three elements that are, called, that are called to participate in the pour out of the love of God into our heart. First, the love of God can be poured out into our heart if our heart will be cleansed from dead works, which makes our heart capable and open to receive the love of God. Second, the love of God can be poured out into our heart if our heart will be open to receive the Holy Spirit in the status of the Lord and Master of our life. Third, the love of God can be poured out into our heart, not in the form of feelings, but in the preached to us word of grace, the word that, <clears throat> the word that are then turned into confessions of the faith of God that are called to lead our feelings so we can demonstrate the love of God as a good rider leads his horse with bits. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips, therefore God has blessed you forever. Psalm 45, 2. The love of God is the grace of God and is poured out 
in the words of grace. According to the three above-listed elements, we conclude that the heart of carnal men, that in all churches make up the majority, are not able to be a place for the pour-out of the love of God that comes from the atmosphere of brotherly kindness. In Hebrew, the word grace is linked to inheritance and comes from the words to provide for, to take care of, and to prepare for, which indicates that God, by the means of His grace, which is based upon the greatness of the new covenant that is made with a new person, has provided for, taken care of, and prepared for man the inheritance in the form of a full measure of salvation or an absolute salvation, from which we conclude that a heart that does not have the seal of righteousness that identifies the mutual bond of the covenant between God and man, the love of God that demonstrates itself in the law of grace, does not have its legit field. The power of the love of God agape that is contained in the law of grace and is poured out into our heart by the Holy Spirit obtains its legitimacy and its legal power within our heart when the bound within the boundaries of these elements. First, in a mutual covenant with God that is made in the baptisms in which we collaborate with the truth of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, we cleanse our conscience from dead works and by the means of the confessions of the faith of our heart have submerged ourselves into the death of Christ. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Mark 16, 16. Second, the power of the love of God contained in the law of the grace of God obtains its legal status and its power in eating of the communion of the Lord, where the new covenant receives its power and its effectiveness. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Luke 22, 20. Third, to make a covenant with God according to the conditions of the law of grace is not something a person can do where he wants to, how he wants to, or when he wants to, but only when he finds a good wife whose husband is known at the gate. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 18:22. Only that church that is founded upon the 12 foundations can't be that virtuous wife, that good wife, where the love of God can be poured into the heart of man. Therefore, to understand inside of yourself the natural essence of the love of God that comes from brotherly kindness, it was necessary for us to remember what and who God loves and what and who God hates. In a specific format, we already studied five components of who and what God loves. Therefore, we will immediately pay attention to the sixth. The sixth, in nature of the selective love of God that flows from the, vir uh, from the virtue of God in the atmosphere of which the peace of God reigns within the boundaries of brotherly kindness, opens the eyes of the blind, raises those that are bowed down, and, lo and loves the righteous that walk in the way of the truth. The one that God loves, we need to love, and loves, and we need to love them as God loves them. The, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind, the Lord raises those who are bowed down, the Lord loves the righteous. Psalm 146, 8. In the given situation, we see a specific category of people that are righteous that being born from the seed of the word of truth are born 
blind and bowed down. This is by this sign you're able to differentiate the category of the chosen by God remnant from the category of the called that do not acknowledge the fact that they're blind. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may, may, may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see. If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. John 9, 39 through 41. According to this phrase, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But now you say, you see, therefore you the sin remains means that the category of those that are born from born blind from the seed of the word of truth are called righteous because God does not account sin to them. At the same time, people, the category of people that do not acknowledge the fact that they're blind remain in sin and are gathered up by God for destruction. One who is blind is a student. One that is able to see in this situation is an inspector. When people come as the blind, then they are students. Then they're able to be, they're able to have the, be given the ability to see. But when they come and say that they see, what can you give them? They're resisting the word and saying, "Well, I don't have the same opinion. I don't agree with this." Therefore. To better understand the given phrase, I will first present the dialogue of Christ with the category of the called that was before this specific situation. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. It turns out that they're deaf, but they don't know this. They don't understand him because they're not able to hear his words. The reason, and he tells them why, you are of your father, the devil. It's scary. If a person is not a student, then his father is the devil. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead. And the prophets, and you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. 
but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, <clears throat> You are not yet fifty years old, and, have you, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Before a Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. In this dialogue, Amongst the Church of Saints, there is a relationship of the called that call themselves or consider themselves wise and spiritual, whom God hates. So we see this relationship between the carnal men and the spiritual men whom God loves. The righteous, the chosen by God remnant is, is identified by the obedience of their faith to the faith of God, that is the preached word about the kingdom of heaven, that is called to deliver their soul from sin and death and adopt their body by the redemption of Christ. The wicked man that is in the category of the called, they refuse to acknowledge the fact that their soul that lives in their mortal body is within the power of hell and that they do not have need of salvation of their soul from the power of hell. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the work of God would be revealed in him. I must work the work of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. John 9, 1-7. A person that was born blind represents the category of chosen men that did not have sin because they received their justification by faith by the gift of the grace of God and like Abraham confirmed it by the obedience of their faith to the faith of God when they went and washed themselves in the pools of Siloam. The phrase, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad speaks of the fact that Abraham until a specific time was blind, but when he believed God and went to the land which he did not know, he saw the day of Christ, that is, his bride in this land. In this land. The same thing with the man that was blind from birth, his righteousness was imputed to him because he confirmed it by obeying the faith of God and went to the wellsprings of Siloam that he did not know, washing the spittle from his eyes he was able to see. Siloam is a symbol of the bride of the Lamb. The spittle or clay that Jesus used to put on the eyes of the blind man is a symbol of the format of a curse, which tramples the other format of a curse, as it is written, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fate, fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Hebrews 2, 14, 15. In the Old Testament, a spittle was a, a form of a curse. If a father spits at his, in his daughter's face, she needs to seven days cover her face and not show it. This was a curse if there was such anger that he spit on her. Here, Jesus spits on the ground. 
the ground is cursed, the ground is cursed for you. One curse is mixed with another curse, tramples over another curse. He, he makes a spittle from it, clay from it. He puts it into the eyes of the person who does not have eyes. He's blind from birth. He doesn't even have eyes. In the original, he did, it states that he, he just had two uh, sockets, but he had no eyes in those sockets. And so he puts the spittle into his eyes and says, go wash yourself in the waters of Siloam. And once he does, eyes appear, a miracle happens. He doesn't just begin, uh, he's not just able to see, uh, eyes were formed also. Siloam in Hebrew is Shiloh, which means one that stirs up water, or one who is the spring of living water. This is a symbol of the body of Christ, where the living water is. And washing yourself in the pools of Siloam is a symbol of clothing yourself into the resurrection of Christ. The symbol of the person who was born blind that has no sin is the chosen by God remnant who is a carrier of the mortal body, a symbol of a person that had washed himself in the uh, waters of Siloam and, be, and is now able to see is the chosen by God remnant where he became a carrier of the heavenly body. When we, by faith, have received a promise about the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ, we become carriers of the heavenly body. We are able to see, we're being able to see, and this uh, ability to see gives a person a new impulse. He, his values change uh, in his life, and he now grows in himself and carries within himself a treasure and will not allow anyone to take it from him, this holy uh, treasure. He understands that the adoption of the body is linked to the door of our hope, to, the, to rapture. If his body will not be adopted, he will not be able to be raptured. And he already has this, and this is testimony of the fact that he will be raptured, and he has it because he received it into his heart and proclaims the non-existent as existent, and God accounts this to him as righteousness. And people, of course, are different than the others who say they can see. Those who say they can see will not accept what you have accepted now. They will complain because to accept it, you need to acknowledge that our body is mortal. What is mortal? What is, what is this? This is hell and hellfire. This means we live in hell. Our soul in the body lives in hell. Deliver my soul from hell, David writes. But these people don't want to acknowledge this. How is this possible? This can't be. Yeah, maybe at some t point we can sin. They can't accept this. Why? Because they did not accept the truth about cleansing their conscience from dead works, dying for your nation, the house of your father, for uh, dying for your corrupt desires. And only afterwards a seed can be put there, planted there, of the kingdom of heaven. And when there's a seed of the kingdom of heaven, the teaching, the 12 based teachings, then the Holy Spirit can come there and only then when the Holy Spirit comes there he begins to reveal the truth about the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ you see the sequence in which this happens they can't hear they we say it and they look at us like we're not normal 
They say, from where did you get this information? How? The entire Bible and everything uh, speaks about this, but they don't see it, and they call themselves, uh, they say they can see. Seventh, in nature, the selective love of God that flows from the virtue of God in the atmosphere of which the peace of God reigns within the boundaries of brotherly kindness loves the cheerful giver. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. And so the love of God for, toward a cheerful giver is his reward or his rewarding of the one that does gives uh, gives cheerfully. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. Proverbs 19.17 From our end, to love a cheerful giver to God, and also one who is in need, a poor man, is to be considered toward the one that is a cheerful giver and differentiate him from the others that and their relationship with the poor. A cheerful giver is giving of your tithes and offerings or other gifts that may be given is the openness of our heart to God which represents our hunger and thirst to hear and to know God. When our cheerful giving, we uh, see this as a method of getting to know God or the way of getting to know God. We allow God to adopt our body by the redemption of Christ. Moses said, Lord, open your ways to me so that I may know you and obtain favor in your sight. And so by the way that God allows us to know him and by knowing him, he gives us his then his favor is when we are a cheerful giver and we seek to know God. This is the way upon which a person needs to seek God not materialistic rewards, but reward that is to know God, because God is that wealth that has all spiritual and real things. Why is it that we need to uh, seek wealth that is perishable when God is the master of all wealth that is perishable and imperishable? All is in Him if we know Him and will be in Him, put into Him, into Jesus Christ, then we will become the wealthiest men on earth, and not just on earth, but also in heaven. <clears throat> not a single angel has the treasure that we will have. Not a single king has ever had or will ever have such treasure. Even all the wealth of the earth, if you put them together, they'll be as nothing. But you need to believe in this and you need to, be, and you need to agree with this. You need to value it. The word of God is the greatest wealth, the word of God that we hear and that we accept in the form of a seed and grow into the fruits of righteousness. And so, therefore, to see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between the, those who serve God and those who don't serve Him, we can do it in this way. 
Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord, yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said, it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinances and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of our hosts? So now we call the proud blessed, for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Then those who, and so turns out that they uh, understood correctly that you don't need to honor God with their tithes. And so they uh, pretty much justify that idea that you don't need to by seeing these things. And so when they became servants of righteousness, uh, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. This won't happen immediately again. This will happen in the day that he will make. He will make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Malachi 3, 11, or 13 through 18. The book of remembrance. <coughs> of those who <clears throat> who honor God and serve Him is the heart of a person that seeks God and honors God with tithes and offerings, <clears throat> where he seeks God and is vigilant. And God writes there into this book of remembrance his promises for this person. To be vigilant at the gates, uh, royal gates, is to stand guard of your mouth so that you never and no uh, wicked thought and word come out of your mouth. That comes from your heart. To be vigilant at the royal gate where a person who fears God and honors God with tithes and offerings who is, which is uh, God's food and is also the axe that lays at the root of the tree is before God as a demonstration of our love. And now even the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the, into the fire. Matthew 3, uh, 10. To illustrate this, we will bring forth one more event where a person who honors God and was who was vigilant at the door of uh, the royal at the royal he was vigilant at the royal gate and showed the difference between one who does and one who doesn't. That night the king could not sleep, so one was commanded to bring the book of the record of the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, who of the king's two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Artaxerxes. Then the king said, What honor or dignity had been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king servants who attended him said nothing has been done for him so the king said who is in the court now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him you see what a crisis arises here those that honor God and fear God 
for them uh, the gallows are prepared, but those who do not fear God, they are in bliss. And when a common asked of the king to do this work, then the king's servant said to him, Haman is there, standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king asked him, What shall we do for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on its head, then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of the one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man whom the king delights to honor, then parade him on the horse on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor then the king said to Haman hurry take the robe and the horse as you have suggested and do this for Mordecai the Jew who sits within the king's gate leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken so Haman took the robe and the horse, arrayed Mordecai, and led him on horseback through the city square, and proclaimed before him, Thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Afterward Mordecai went back to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. Esther 6, 1 through 12. See what happened here how God will uh, mark his own. He will force these people that were arrogant over them. He will bring them to this position. They will come and uh, bow at your feet, it's written, because they will know that God has loved you. But this doesn't mean that they will be forgiven for what they did. Judas could come and said, I had betrayed innocent blood. And so that you had, the high priest said, so what? You, you did what was yours. You've received what was owed to you. Now go do whatever you want. Not having peace and forgiveness uh, in himself, he went and hung himself. And so the wicked and lawless will see, when they see the favor of God upon the saints, over whom they, those that, uh, that they mocked, that they... And so they will acknowledge that they are not going to be able to be forgiven. The next element, uh, without, if we do not know and do not fulfill, we will not be able to be demonstrators in our faith of the selective love of God, which we are to identify by our belonging or membership to the sons of peace. And so we need to have hatred again to everything that God has hatred toward or hate everything God hates. Considering that the selective love of God and the format of the law of God and the lawless in the format of resisting God's law are programs and the carriers of these are people we just as we looked at whom God loves, we'll also look at whom God hates. First, the selective love of God that flows from the virtue of God in the atmosphere of which the peace of God reigns in brotherly kindness hates the planting of any trees 
and pillars near the altar. You shall not plant for yourself any tree as a wooden image near the altar which you build for yourself to the Lord your God. You shall not set up a sacred pillar which the Lord your God hates. Deuteronomy 16, 21, 22. Before we begin to identify what in worshiping God is to be considered the plantations and the pillars that are put next to the altar, we'll bring another place of scripture that is linked to planting of trees near the altar that generally uh, confuses uh, those who sincerely study the scriptures. Now, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and their called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. Genesis 21, 33, 34. Two places of scripture as if contrary to one the other. Beersheba is a place in the desert, the very southern end of Judea, that at the time belonged to the Philistines. In this place at the well that was dug out by the servants of Abraham, where there was a dispute between the shepherds of Abraham and the shepherds of King Abimelech. And an agreement was made between Abraham and Abimelech that they would not do each other harm. In order to make this agreement, Abraham gave Abimelech seven sheep. From there came the name Beersheba in Hebrew, Bezarsheba, which means the well of seven or the well of an oath. We have a legitimate question. If God hates any plantation of trees near the altar, why did God not consider it a sin that Abraham planted the tamarisk tree near the altar? In order to answer this question, we need to first answer a series of other questions, which will then be the answer to to the question why God didn't consider it a sin that Abraham planted the tree near the altar. First, what purpose does growth have, the tree planted near the altar of the Lord, which God normally would hate? Here, specific trees, um, the trees that the Gentiles had and that the Gentiles planted near their altars. What purpose, again, or what purpose and what goal did Abraham have planting the tree near the altar of the Lord being a Gentile custom? The thing is that Israel took the idea of planting near the altar from the Gentiles that planted trees near the altars of their gods that they worshipped, that were made of gold, silver, stone, and wood, that were demonically inspired. This format of worship was very much liked by Israel and brought them to error. <clears throat> and they adopted it and began to practice it in worship near the altar to the true and living God. The ancient Gentiles would plant near their altar built, built with their gods the evergreen trees such as the spruce, fir, cedar, and pine. They symbolize for them fertility, protection from illnesses, and also eternal life and immortality. For the most part, fertility is what they focused on. The pillars that they would put near the altars were the images of Astartes that was carved from either spruce or pine wood, which they called the goddess of fertility. These trees contained a sacred vital power and had cult meanings. The element of such a sacred and cult significance was later rolled into the ancient European nations, German, Finno-Ugric, and Slavic. 
havoc. The New Year tradition of decorating the tree comes from the ancient Celts, Estovs, Lithuanians, Slavs, and Finno-Ugric nations, that is special vital power and energy in these trees will draw the spring closer and helps with fertility. And promises will be, and the spirits that were within the green branches needs to be, were needing to be pleased with offerings, presents which they would hang on the trees. In religion, based magic presentations of the Fino-Ugric nations, the spruce or the fir tree was binding, was the binding tie between the mythical worlds of the living and dead, which is why it was very popularly used during uh, burial rituals. During the period of the emerging of the Orthodox faith, the tree that is planted near the altar also found its place in icons and writings. In the research work of G. Brusov, these were, again, this was just a simple man of, of research, Studying the work of D. Manga, he states that the local writings <clears throat> were mostly done upon spruce and pine wooden plank or plaques. This is also evident in Siberia. The local writing was written on fir or spruce wood. It is by accident, we ask the question, is it by accident that the nation's writings were written upon this particular wood plaques? Did the type of tree have a sacred meaning? A man of research, B.G. Platonov, basing information Information on previous studies of I.A. Shalnov and Brusov and Varanina speak of the idea when analyzing the collection of national writings primitive from that time, he said that he came to the conclusion about the similar and significance that these wood, this wood carried. Each one each person of this <clears throat> of this time in one or other way is concerned about the well-being of the dead and the after uh, world and because of the dead also the living also then the living this allowed me to say this uh, this allowed them to state that the choice of pine wood was significant and so again, uh, planting their trees next to their altars uh, inspired such things, deeds that came from the works of the flesh, a work of the law, good deeds that came from the flesh, hallowing the days of feasts, replacing the structure of theocracy with a democratic structure, the desire to be rich, legalizing of the con uh, consumption of alcohol, practicing the gifts of the Holy Spirit, evangelism, washing, feet of, uh, washing of feet during communion, and replacing the covering of the Most High with any other physical covering. And now that we understand the goal that this growth had uh, being planted near the altar of God, we will look at the tree that was planted by Abraham and where he built the altar to the Lord. In Hebrew, the tree that was planted by Abraham near the altar in Beersheba was a white tree that Noah used also by the command of God to build the Ark of Salvation for his house. And you'll see it was a tamarisk tree. This was a white, tam a white wood tamarisk tree, a very strong uh, form of wood. And uh, Noah built the ark uh, of this same wood. And so this uh, tree that was planted near the altar was a testimony that his heart had salvation, the salvation of God, and that demonstrated itself in 
being a sojourner or a stranger in the land of the Philistines. And so this was evidence again that he was a stranger and that he has salvation. For Abraham, the symbol of the Philistine land was his mortal body. And being a stranger, because of the uh, tree that he planted, the tamarisk tree he planted near the altar, indicated the fact that his heart, or in his heart, he had the promise of the adoption of his body by the redemption of Christ. And so the symbol of Abraham in our mortal body in the land of the Philistines is the intelligent aspect of our new person, which is the mind of Christ. The shepherds of Abraham that tend the flocks of his sheep, which is the thoughts of the new person in the revelations of the Holy Spirit that reveals the truth in the heart are the intelligent abilities of the new person. The uh, King Abimelech, who made a covenant with Abraham within our mortal body, is the intelligent aspect of our soul that is renewed by the spirit of our mind. Therefore, the shepherds of King Abimelech that tend the flocks of Abimelech represent then the symbol of the thoughts that come from uh, listening to the preached word. And so, planting then by Abraham, planting this tree, this tamarisk uh, tree near the altar in the land of the Philistines, this uh, white wood was evidence of the fact that his heart was a stranger living within his mortal body and that he was waiting for the adoption of his body by the redemption of Christ. Their inner thoughts is that their houses will last forever, their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names, Psalm 49:11. in order to hate the trees that have been planted by the Gentiles next to their altars. We need to differentiate the trees that were planted by Abraham next to the altar of the Lord and the trees that were planted by the Gentiles next to their idols. Today, the great ignorance amongst the Protestants that uh, mock the uh, Orthodox people that they're worshipping icons, not understanding that they have enough of their own uh, icons that they worship, but they're in a different form. They, next to the uh, altar of the Lord, they have this very trees. If next to the altar of the Lord, they would seek not the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but the giver. Abraham was seeking God. He was seeking the church. He was seeking the day of the Lord. And the Lord gave him the ability to see the bride. And he was uh, conjoined to this bride, and he became a father of all Christians. He saw the day of the Lord. He was seeking the city whose builder is the Lord because only by the city or from the city the grace of God would come. Not every individual church is such a church. We need to understand that all people who call themselves Christians and pray to Christ are Christians. Many who call themselves Christians and praying to Christ are praying to demons. 
and calling the evil spirit, as they call the evil spirit the Holy Spirit, because everything they do contradicts the scripture and the spirit of scripture. They don't want to hear the scriptures. They have their own ideology. They have their own structure. And the structure is not the structure of the body of Christ, because they have councils that are controlling the pastor, dictate what he needs to do, and the person that is chosen by, if a person who is chosen as pastor tries to do something, or even if God would reveal something to him, he would not be able to present it or give it because the council will not allow it. <coughs> and even in the church, people will become uh, angrier or rebel because they don't agree, and when people don't agree in the church, then there is uh, a vote. Raise your hands who does not agree. And where the majority does not agree, then that's what they decide. And after this, these people say that these are blind and we can see. They see themselves or consider that they can see. We need to understand what position we're in a privileged position, what time we live in. We live in truly that time. If God has revealed these things and God has shown the difference between the righteous and unrighteous for them, not for us, not them, we see and we speak of it. The Lord knows. And a book of remembrance is written about those who fear him. God is writing everything in his book of remembrance. And he writes every action, every loss, every hope. He writes down every cent. He writes down that with this cent, a person seeks not materialistic goods, but seeks the Lord. He waits for the adoption of his body by the redemption of Christ. God sees this. The heavens are in great joy because of this. The devil is trying to do everything possible so that this does not happen. But in heaven right now, there is a great celebration. You know, before rapture, there's going to be great activity between heaven and earth. The angels, as never before, are very active uh, on earth and in heaven. They somehow participate in the revelations and the relationships of a person with God. They take the prayers of a person and bring them to God. Only those prayers that are the confessions of God's faith. If our prayer is not the confession of God's faith, the angel will not take such prayers to the Lord. And the angel will be offended by a person that worships Christ but does not pray according to God's request, requirement. We need to be thankful to God for this and remember that what you experience today if you are in illnesses of some kind, do not be afraid. Continue to look and see yourself healed. It will pass. If it tarries, it will still come to pass. It will still come to pass. Continue to believe in it. Do not allow the thoughts of the devil to convince you otherwise. It will happen. Your, your aging uh, will end. You will become you will flourish as, as a young leaf uh, on a tree because you've uh, received this together with me. Right now, we're going to thank God for what we have and anyone who wants to resist uh, Satan. 
resist their lusts that have bound them, that have bound you, and the devil tells you, this is not for you. This is for you if you hear it. The righteous will fall seven times or rise again. This is for you. God can free you from these shackles. Let us bend our knees and pray. We wait for you here at the altar, and may the Lord bless us. Amen. I'm going to be praying your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for you. He's not against you. He can wash your sins away. He can break the shackles of sin. 
He can forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He can restore you and your rights and the adoption of your body by the redemption of Christ. Close your eyes. This is your secret room. Lift your hands to heaven. This is a sign that your hands are without wrath or without doubt. Pray together with me, Heavenly Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you. I open up my heart. You see my pain, my suffering, my shame from sin. I ask you, break the shackles of sin. May they be destroyed by your power. I hate sin. I hate the destructive desires that are in me. I pray, free me. Make me free. I love you. I accept your freedom into my heart. And right now, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven, and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with his great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May the blessing of the ancient mountains and everlasting hills be on you and your children, and the nation shall say, Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I want to remind us that the promise that you receive, the love of God that is poured out, this is information. When you understand this, it will be easier for you to resist the devil because he will continuously uh, come out from, uh, and affect your feelings. Don't pay attention to what you feel. Pay attention to what you know, what you've received. And God, the God of peace will be with us. And now let us proclaim our manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. <laughs>